Hello and welcome to another episode of Ain't It Scary with Sean and Carrie. I'm the titular Sean. And I'm the very titular Carrie. And this is the show that takes you inside the unbelievable, the unexplainable, the macabre, and the bizarre, and tries to find an answer. Caroline, what's your favorite movie of all time? I, I know our listeners are going to expect you to say a horror film. Technically it is, I guess. Uh, Shaun of the Dead. Oh, I actually, yeah, I guess I knew that. Because we've, we've obviously, <laughs> it's both of our favorite movie. I, I, for some reason, I was expecting you to say Back to the Future. <laughs> well, that's my second favorite. Um, that's my favorite movie that is not also your favorite movie. It is a perfect movie, many would and will argue. Um, it's in one of my screenwriting books as a perfect screenplay. And that's why our topic today is so perfect to dive into, because we are going to talk about a real-life, maybe, time traveler. Ooh. That's right, Caroline. This week, we are diving into the sordid tale. It's not that sordid. <laughs> We're diving into the tale of John Teeter, the man out of time. No. Oh. Now, John Teeter first appeared on the scene. Um, well, for those who are completely unfamiliar, uh, John Teeter is a self-proclaimed time traveler who appeared on internet forums between 2000 and 2001, most famously, uh, made a bunch of predictions about things that were going to happen to us. Well, uh, they weren't predictions if they really had happened to him. Yeah, it told us about his <laughs> his past, our future, and then um, left after arguing with nerds on the internet for about a year and a half or so. Mm-hmm. But the John Teeter story actually starts before that, before the internet um, posting started. Uh, this comes from our old friend Art Bell and Coast to Coast AM in 1998. Uh, if you missed our Coast to Coast episode a couple of weeks ago um, and you're unfamiliar, which shame on you, uh, Coast to Coast AM is a syndicated radio program. Now it's an internet radio program. Uh, very late night call-in show. They where... don't have it on the radio at all. I think it is syndicated some places. Really? Well, maybe maybe it is. It yeah. was a few years ago. I, I mean, it might not still be, but I think it is. So it is a uh, late night radio call-in show uh, where people can call in and talk about whatever they want. Uh, and often the discussion topics are uh, things of the weird, of the ain't it scary nature. Well, they'll have guests on and those will be geared around conspiracy theories, the paranormal, stuff like that. As well as like just general icky right-wing politic conspiracy uh Yeah, but it, it, yeah, things. it usually has like a conspiracy type of bent. It's not just like build the wall people. No, they're more fun about it. <laughs> sure. Uh in 1998, Art Bell got this fax from a listener. Uh, and I'm uh, quoting from it in part here. A fax. Yes, that is how far back the John Teeter saga goes. It started with a fax machine. Mm. Dear Art, I had to fax when I heard other time travelers calling in from any time past the year 2500 AD. Please let me explain. Time travel was invented in 2034. Offshoots of certain successful fusion reactor research allowed scientists at CERN to produce the world's first contained singularity engine. The basic design involves rotating singularities inside a magnetic field. By altering the speed and direction of rotation, you can travel both forward and backward in time. Time itself can be understood in ter terms of connected lines. When you go back in time, you travel on your original timeline. 
When you turn the singularity off, a new timeline is created due to the fact that you and your time machine are now there. Some interesting outcomes of this. One, you meet yourself. I've done it often, even taken a younger version of myself along for a few rides before returning myself to the new timeline and going back to mine. Two, you can alter history in the new universe that you have just created. Most of the time, the changes are subtle. Sometimes I'll notice car models that don't exist or books that came out late. Unfortunately, it was also discovered that anyone going forward in time from my 2036 hit a brick wall in the year 2564. Please pray that we discover the reason why there is no apparent future after 2564. And that last part is chilling. How do how do they find a brick wall? Do they just stop traveling in time? It's not a physical thing, right? Right, I, I think it, they must just stop there. Well, then you would think that they would find out soon enough what right, it is. Right, why wouldn't you send someone to 2563, tell them wait six months, and then come back? Or just send them to where it stops and then wait a minute. Well, maybe they did. He didn't get into the, the um, real specifics. Hmm. Um, Art read this on the air along with another fax that came from Teeter quickly after. Um, where he went on to describe the Y2K disaster as having left people frozen to death, uh, ensuing martial law afterward, a power plant in Denver destroyed by mob violence, and the rise of socialism following the chaos. The worst of all. The worst of the disasters, that's right. Um, That was it for John Teeter for the time being. Did he He sign these, John Teeter? Yes, he did. Mm-hmm. Uh, he had, after all, said he'd be returning to his own timeline soon, and I guess he was keeping that promise. Hmm. And that was the end of John Teeter until November 2nd, 2000. When a poster going by the name of Time Travel underscore Zero <laughs> started posting on the Time Travel Institute forum. Um, the earliest post I can find is actually a reply to someone else's post in a thread about um, temporal paradoxes, like meeting yourself. Uh, and Time Travel Zero says, Wow, Paul is right on the money. I was just about to give up hope on anyone knowing who Tipler or Care was on this world line. By the way, number two is the correct answer, and the basics for time travel start at CERN in about a year and end in 2034 with the first time machine built by GE. Too bad we can't post pictures, or I'd show it to you. A poster named... Even even time-traveling nerds are still nerds on the internet. A, a poster named Pamela said, Guess what? You can post pictures here. We'd love to see it. Um, he They go back and forth because Time Travel Zero doesn't want to post any... Register any personal information anywhere. Uh, Pamela ends up apparently having the pictures emailed to her and then she uploads them for him and posts them to the forum. Uh, While she was doing all this, Pam supposedly asked Time Travel Zero some questions uh, about time travel and uh, with his permission, posted the answers to the board. First, she asked what time travel feels like. Interesting first question. The unit has a ramp-up time after the destination coordinates are fed into the computers. An audible alarm and a small light start a short countdown, at which point you should be secured in a seat. The gravity field generated by the unit overtakes you very quickly. You feel a tug toward the unit, similar to rising quickly in an elevator, and it continues to rise based on the power setting the unit is working under. At 100% power, the constant pull of gravity can be as high as 2 Gs or more, depending on how close you are to the unit. 
There are no serious side effects, but I try to avoid eating before a flight. (laughs) A flight, okay. Outside, the vehicle appears to accelerate as light is bent around it. We have to wear sunglasses or close our eyes, as this happens due to a short burst of ultraviolet radiation. Personally, I think it looks like you're driving under a rainbow. After that, it appears to fade to black, and remains totally black until the unit is turned off. We are advised to keep the windows closed, as a great deal of heat builds up outside of the car. The Uh, car? Yeah, so this time travel unit, which he posted pictures of, or Pamela posted pictures of, looks basically like the power pack that the Ghostbusters trap ghosts in. Uh That's what it looks like to me, anyway, without all the, like, caution-colored yellow. Um... But yeah, it apparently has to be plugged into the computer of an automobile, and uh, to make sure he blended in, in his target year of 1975, Teeter had made his trip in a 67 Chevrolet, he said. It was the only antique car they could find lying around in 2036 that was still drivable, which, you know, of course Teeter's getting in a message there to buy American. (laughs) Sure. Also, did those cars have computers? Oh, I don't... uh, No, probably not, but... uh, So how... But it has to plug into the car. I don't, I don't know. Not necessarily the computer. Interesting. So like a DeLorean. Very similar. <laughs> to. But this is, no, Carrie, this is a different thing. This is a stationary mass temporal, place, temporal displacement unit manufactured by General Electric. Uh, and it's powered by two top spin dual positive singularities that produce a standard offset Tipler sinusoid. This is uh, standard textbook stuff. Sure. Pam also asked Teeter about the, uh, well, this wasn't, he didn't say Teeter yet, but she asked Time Travel Zero about his memories of the year 2036, where he revealed he had come from. Just like our friend from the facts before. Mm-hmm. In 2036, I live in central Florida with my family, and I'm currently stationed at an army base in Tampa. A world war in 2015 killed nearly 3 billion people. The people that survived grew closer together. Life is centered around the family and the community. I cannot imagine living even a few hundred miles away from my parents. There is no large industrial complex creating masses of useless food and recreational items. Food and livestock is grown and sold locally. People spend much more time reading and talking together face to face. Religion is taken seriously, and everyone can multiple everyone can multiple and divide in their heads. Multiple and divide? Yeah, sick. That would that's uh that's Pam's uh <laughs> error. I'm going to I'm going to give Teeter the uh <laughs> benefit of the doubt there. Uh when asked what started the war, he says, "Wow. That's a big question." <laughs> yeah. There's a civil war in the United States that starts in 2005. That conflict flares up and down for 10 years. In 2015, Russia launches a nuclear strike against major cities in the United States, which is the other side of the Civil War from my perspective, China and Europe. The United States counterattacks. The U.S. cities are destroyed along with the AFE, American Federal Empire. (laughs) Thus we, in the country, won. The European Union and China were also destroyed. Russia is now our largest trading partner, and the capital of the U.S. was moved to Omaha, Nebraska. (laughs) Okay. So that's the world John Teeter's living in. Sure. And he's saying all this at in what 2000, so none of it's happened yet. He doesn't What, you don't remember the massive civil war in 2005 <laughs> that led to all those nuclear strikes? Well, when he's saying this, there's no benefit of uh hindsight at all. It's yeah, this is going to happen. It's not us now knowing it didn't. 
Right, exactly. He's just talking, presumably. Hear me out. Out of his ass. <laughs> okay, and how did people respond to this? Remember, this was on a time travel... Yeah, where was this forum? Timetravelinstitute.com. It still exists. It's mostly just a web forum for sci-fi nerds to talk about uh, time travel. Theoretical time travel. Is there a real sci-fi or uh, time travel institute? No, the web. It's just a. It's just a website. It's a group. It's well, I didn't know if it was like a fan club, basically. Yeah, no, that's pretty much it. Interesting. The time travel institute. Okay. I know there are time travel groups that hold convent time travel conventions. Mm-hmm. Oh, or maybe you know. I guess you'd really only need to hold the one convention. Sure. <laughs> they should have just held the time travelers convention. You know in uh, April 2019 and just everybody meet there. Mm-hmm. So so people are primed to be interested in time travel. Yeah, and most of the questions in that thread, this thread by the way continues on uh, the one the, the one thread he posted in on Time Travel Institute forums um stretched on for 11 pages which was the due to some bugs in the uh, forum software at the time that was the limit mm-hmm. and then it spilled over into another topic for six more pages uh followed by you know even more discussion after uh john had finally left again teetered off teetered off yeah <laughs> um but that was always still yet to come in the meantime teeter well time travel zero revealed that he had been sent back to 1975 from the year 2036 to retrieve a computer system to take back home with him. Uh, He needed specifically an IBM 5100 from the year 1975. Mm -hmm. And that was to debug legacy software in 2036 computers. Now, why did he have to do that? Why did it need debugging? His references are vague, but he seemed to be dancing around an actual issue which is uh, the Unix 2038 bug. Uh, this is a <laughs> Isn't thing... that a George Lucas movie? Well, it's very similar. <laughs> That's very funny. Uh, it's very similar to the Y2K thing, actually. Mm-hmm. 3, 14, and 7 seconds on Tuesday, January 19th, 2038, is the last date that can be stored in a 32-bit integer, like in computer code. Is that like a mathematical thing? Yeah, so when they get to... 3 o'clock, 3.14 and 7 seconds on January 19th, 2038. The next second, there's no way to account for that time in in Unix-based computer systems. Yeah, but now iOS, I mean, that moved up to 64-bit. Things are just changing. Yeah, it's obviously not actually going to be a problem, (laughs) but he based this on something. And, And so not being able to account for that time, is it supposed to be like the Y2K thing where they're not going to be able... The banking systems can't handle stuff. Yes, the banking stuff. systems will fail. The computers will all just short out. I don't know what people expected exactly. Yeah, so for Y2K, the problem, I think, was that um, changing over to 2000 from All the software would think it was, ni- it was 1900 again. Yeah, so for some reason that time shift was supposed to be catastrophic and it ended up being just fine. So. Yep. <laughs> but remember, uh, in 1998, this same time traveler had been warning uh, <laughs> Art Bell. Now, uh, Teeter said he had been specifically chosen for this miss- mission because his grandfather had worked at IBM on 
the 5100, and so he was familiar with some very little-known, unpublicized information. Mm-hmm. Specifically, that the 5100 had the rare ability to emulate software from IBM mainframes uh, because of the older computing languages that it could understand. It's something that, like, they didn't tell consumers, apparently. And, um... So I was I was very good at English mm-hmm. in, in school, which means I was terrible at all this stuff. <laughs> so that basically means that just this one computer would be able to emulate or pretend, I guess, it was the software of any IBM computer. And to have this computer would be able to solve the 2036 problem. Yeah, more or less. That's pretty close. Okay. It will yes, it would be able to emulate uh, software from older machines that they didn't have access to and therefore be able to act like those older machines in debugging their newer machines for this 2038 problem. You know. Okay. Computer stuff. <laughs> okay, if you say so. Um now John Teeter activist Oliver Williams uh, Sorry? There's this guy Oliver Williams who goes he he's a self-proclaimed John Teeter activist. <laughs> And historian. Um, What is he acting on? Boy, Oliver Williams has a lot of time on his hands. Yeah. Um, Which is appropriate when you're working on a time travel, you know, you need a lot of time. Mm. Williams claims that only like, he claims that he spoke to ex-engineers from IBM who said that only like 20 people in the world had this information. I do know IBM specifically didn't want it publicized because uh, they were afraid their competitors could use it to reverse engineer their software. Mm-hmm. But still, that's 20 people that know about this that are just guys and not time travelers. Right, but, but you know. So John Teeter could just be an IBM employee. Williams is just saying there's not that many. That narrows the pool down. Sure, yeah. So uh, he went to to zero. So he went to 1975. Why was he in the year 2000? Yeah, that's a question. Well, John said he was making a personal stopover, uh, both to collect pictures that he had lost in the Civil War and to visit his family, uh, who he mentioned often in his posts. Uh, To quote John himself, I am here for personal reasons. For a few months now, I have been trying to alert anyone that would listen to the possibility of a civil war in the United States in 2005. Does that seem more likely now? Actually, it's quite amazing to see what's happening. I have been trying to get people to pay attention for the last few months, but to see it unfold is very interesting. Before I leave, I'll try and post my report. I'm curious. Will anyone be upset if Florida's votes are not counted in the Electoral College because of the current, quote, confusion this was during the 2000 yeah bush gore election i don't know where that comes in though is he saying saying there's going to be a civil war because people are mad george bush got elected yes well i think okay well what a time to have a civil war right after he gets (laughs) reelected. um but he couldn't know what was going to happen in 2004, 2005. He could have. Sorry, he, he does, but we traveling. don't know at the time. Uh-huh. Um, now, I keep calling him John Teeter. Of course, that was the name on the original faxes, but all these posts have come from a poster, anonymous poster named Time Travel Zero. Um, the name John Teeter doesn't come up again until he starts posting on Art Bell's forums. Uh, shortly after the Time Travel Institute posts. Now, over on artbell.com, posters needed to register with a first and last name. 
And so Time Travel Zero started posting there as John Teeter with the same military and signature, uh, with the same military insignia in his sign off, mm-hmm. and the same story as Time Travel Zero over on the other website. It also, of course, matches up in, I think, every important detail with the um, facts that Art Bell initially got in 1998. John Teeter, on 1-27-2001, 12.45 p.m. Greetings. I am a time traveler from the year 2036. I am on my way home after getting an IBM 5100 computer system from the year 1975. My time machine is a stationary mass temporal displacement unit manufactured by General Electric. The, sp- the unit is p- powered by two top spin dual positive. <laughs> the unit is powered by two top spin dual positive singularities that produce a standard offset Tipler sinusoid. I will be happy to post pictures of the unit. Now that he knows he can. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Well, now his first this and last time name he's are coming there, in. Right? Like, let's do the pictures. I, I've already given personal information more than I was comfortable with. And uh, I mean, to be fair, his IP address would just be attached to his old username, which is something he should know if he's so smart about computers. Um, yes, because even I know it, and I don't know anything that you told me about the IPM. <laughs> so, um, now let's talk about some uh, predictions, because John, Ooh, yes. a, as you said, these aren't predictions. They for were John. then, but yes, this is stuff that, that happened in his timeline. Yes, this is stuff that John said, well, he's. I'll tell you what happened after the year 2001. By the way, uh, John said that you could never travel to your own past or future. As soon as you travel through time, you are back to the future style, creating a new timeline. Avengers Endgame styles? Yes. That's the only kind of time travel that works for John Teeter. So... When he returns back to the future, uh, it's, most, it's going to be on a different timeline than where he started and things could be different. Most teeter experts agree that that is the, the, the case. That is the way it works. And, and we'll, we'll hear from Oliver Williams on that subject soon. That's heavy, Doc. Um, <laughs> uh, it is. But he said that he would estimate about a 2 to 3% difference between our How timeline you- and his. How do you even, I mean, you he's not going to know till the future. And also, he's going back and meeting his family. Is Baby Teeter around at this point? He's saying based on what he knows of his own timeline. No, I know, but I'm saying he's changing stuff. I mean, in Back to the Future, it's very bad to meet your old self or to for your old family to know who you are because that changes things in the future. So Right, but this won't change things in the future because the timeline that Teeter left... But it's going to change things for his future. Because he's just gone. But Well, unless another Teeter from another f- f- timeline oh slips in to fill his place. My brain hurts. <laughs> Well, I mean, no matter what, when he goes back to the future, um, his his life will be radically different, different, if only for the fact that he (laughs) he had shown up in his own life. Yes. And we'll get into the degree to which that is true. Oh, boy. In a little bit. Um, But let's talk about what John says happened. Yeah, let's get into these nice predictions. I love these things. Okay, so John, as you heard, predicted that a civil war starts in 2005, coming out of civil unrest surrounding the U.S. election in 2004. So the re-election, okay. Uh, Teeter, in one post, described this... And this was not a metaphorical war, this was a physical war. No, he described this as, quote, 
a Waco type event every month that steadily gets worse until full-on war breaks out by 2008 between five separate regional factions of the United States. And he says by 2015, that war will have calcified and will finally end with a brief but furious World War III when Russia targets us on what he refers to a few times as End Day. Mm-hmm. For Nuke Day, one can assume. Yeah. Um. He specifically mentions Washington, D.C. and Jacksonville, Florida as as some of the major cities that are hit. Why Jacksonville? That's what I said. He's from Florida, so he thinks that's a city. (laughs) He says all the biggest cities were hit, and he doesn't mention any of the biggest cities. I mean, Florida, you go for like, what, Orlando because of tourists or Miami because it's densely populated. Jacksonville, I don't. Okay. Strange. Um, anyway, Omaha, Nebraska, as you heard before, became the, became the new U.S. capital after that. Um, he said that World War III was... Uh, the motivations he kept vague, but he said that the war was sparked by, quote, border clashes and overpopulation. It's what isn't, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, John did fight in the Civil War in his youth. He said from 13 to 17, he was in the Fighting Diamondbacks, a, quote, <laughs> shotgun infantry unit in Florida. Wow. Although there's other posts where he said, you know, you mostly try to hide and keep your head down when there's a war across the whole world. Yeah, something Unless like you're a 13 year old and then you're on the front lines. So it's like, so did you hide from the war or did you fight in it? But he's, he's a little unclear about that. Um, so obviously that world is going to be way different from our world. So what are some of the rippling? What are some other things going on? Rippling effects. Um, well, John says the Olympics were canceled in 2004. Okay, he's like 15 years off. And for every Olympics after that until 2040. That's not correct. <laughs> until 2040, which is after his time. But I guess, again, they've invented time travel. He's, so he must he's know, just assuming. He must know it's coming back. <laughs> uh-huh. He also said uh, the U.S. was brutalized by an epidemic of Creutzfeldt-Jacob disease. Now, this is a fe- fatal degenerative brain disorder that's similar to mad cow. Oh, boy. It's You can only spread it person to person with infected brain or spinal tissue, like contact with infected brain or spinal tissue. So I don't know how it becomes an epidemic. Well, zombies, maybe. Exa- exactly. Um, let's see what else. Obviously, he predicted the Y2K disaster to Art Bell when he first faxed. Yeah, I guess he deleted that one off the list. Uh, he was defensive about that. People brought it up on the forums a lot because as much as there were nerds who were fascinated to just go, and I, reading over the threads, as our listeners can, they're still up there. Um, reading over the threads on Time Travel Institute, I feel like he began posting on the Art Bell forums because he thought he might find a more receptive audience there. Mm-hmm. Because there were a lot of people interested in how the time machine worked, but there were also a lot of people just interested in telling him he was fucking lying or, you know, in, in asking very, very pointed questions that uh, John eventually got tired of. Um, so the Y2K came up a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, and here John says, 
Would I be any more believable if I told you I had just stopped a horrible event and you won't hear about it because it didn't happen? I don't want the responsibility of being expected to know who lives and who dies. I know it would change me for the worse. Besides, how can you be sure my inaction now isn't a result of something I've already screwed up and I'm trying to fix it? The example of not preventing Pearl Harbor relates to Y2K. Have you considered that I might already have screwed up your world line? I mean, with how things are right now, yeah. I, I can consider that. <laughs> you think the only way we get like a Trump presidency, the coronavirus, uh, all of the madness of the last five yeah, years. Maybe it was teeter. It's all teeter. It's, it's nice to have someone to blame he at least. He planted the seed. It just wouldn't, it wouldn't hatch until much later. Mm-hmm. Do seeds hatch? Hmm. Sprout? The posts continued <laughs> on into March of 2001. And uh, again, as I said, it went six pages into a second thread after hitting the 11-page limit over on Time Travel Institute. And um, then John finally announced his coming departure on the Time Travel Institute forum. Dear fellow time travelers, in about 30 days, I will be leaving this world line to return home to 2036. I first want to say thank you for the wonderful conversation and insight into your society. I've learned a great deal, and my opinion on quite a few things has changed dramatically. After going over my flight plan home, I've discovered my VGL holdover is a bit longer than I expected. I will be spending at least three weeks in April of 1998 as I make my way back to 1975. Therefore, I not only offer you the chance to leave a message to yourself in 2036, but I offer you the chance to leave yourself a message in 1998. I will take any compiled messages and email addresses you provide and send them on the net when I get back to 1998. Granted, this will not affect you on your world line now, but you may take some comfort that another you on another world line has the advantage of knowing something you wish you knew three years ago. Based on the earlier questions I've seen, I've decided a day-to-day record of the Dow a day in advance should convince you the messages are real in 1998. That's a little snarky because people kept saying, well, if you're a time traveler, tell me what stocks to buy. Mm -hmm. I look forward to these last few weeks with my family, and I will check in periodically to check this site. Live in peace, 2001, comma, and then nothing. Maybe he was letting the email, the post signature Mm -hmm. act as a signature. That was just a... That military type insignia I referenced before. So two things. One, he can't be a time traveler because he calls the internet the net, and we haven't done that since 1994. Yes. Um, two, why would he go back and warn people of things and change, try to change things or whatever? I mean, it's a different world line. What if... What if that stuff wasn't going to happen anyway? He doesn't know. Well, I would also offer this. What's the point of your whole mission? The computer. But you can't come back. Uh, yeah, he's going somewhere that, uh, I mean, what if the the future he comes back to already has a computer and doesn't need him? And what if just none of the, why does sending your John Teeter back, back into the past make it so that any John Teeter is going to come back? You know yours isn't. Why would any other one make it here? The, and, pro- the problem here is he's mixing time travel mythologies. He's mixing the timeline mythology with the one where it's like a one set universe, one set timeline versus alternate parallel dimension timelines. Right. 
Yeah, no. So he, he's kind of he's taking parts of both of them. Well, he wants to live very much in the many worlds theory. In fact, uh, there's an Oliver Williams, that activist I mentioned before. There's an interview with Art Bell, the interview with George Norrie and Oliver Williams that we'll take a listen to a little later yeah, after the break. <laughs> and um, Williams talks uh, a lot about that in long and boring clips that we're not going to play. Yeah, I mean the thing the thing with time travel is that it's so complicated and it contradicts itself so much. I mean, when you when you're doing it for a movie or whatever, like I've written a time travel film, at a certain point you just have to go there's going to be holes in the mythology. There's going to be this isn't possible. Um you know, there are either different timelines, in which case it doesn't matter if you're traveling either way because you can't affect anything because you're never going to get back to the original timeline. Or there's one timeline, which also doesn't make sense. So what can be kind of written off for a movie or a book or whatever of like, you know, suspending your disbelief. Well, the best ones lampshade it, right? Like a, sure. Like an Avengers or whatever. They, they'll they'll go like, and this doesn't really matter. Exactly. It, it's like, it's like complicated. Yeah. It's like those movies. Forget about it. Exactly. Um, but you can't really do that, quote unquote, in real life. No, they do it in Looper, I think, too. Bruce yes. Willis is like, I, kid, I don't give a shit how it works. It's, <laughs> yeah. just, it's not going to make sense anyway. So. It's like, well, you know, Bruce Willis probably isn't the one to ask, I guess. <laughs> Um, so just one more post after that on the time travel Institute forum, that being a bitchy reply to a few previous bitchy questions from angry nerds on the forum. Cause Always the atmosphere has to get the last word. Well, the atmosphere had gotten very internet over there. Oh. Uh, and then, uh, his final post on art bell forums just a few weeks later. I will be leaving this world line shortly, and this will be my final post. There are only a handful of people who will know exactly when I will be leaving, and I'm sure they will let you know when I'm gone. In the last few days, I have found your choice of topics quite interesting, and from an objective viewpoint, I think it collectively answers one of your own questions. If time travel is real, where are all the time travelers? In the past, I have stated that, quite frankly, you all scare the hell out of me, and I'm sure other temporal drivers would feel the same. But now I have an expanded explanation, with two examples. A while ago, on one of the posts, I related an experience I had with my parents while we were driving down a highway. Every now and then, we would pass someone who was in obvious distress with their vehicle. I was amazed that so many people could pass them by without stopping to help. Their explanation was fear. The risk of helping someone was too great, and with, tech and with today's technology, they probably had a cell phone anyway. If they didn't, the walk to the gas station would be good for them and teach them a lesson for running out of gas. <laughs> The other, example is the, plight of the, the other example is the plight of the homeless. When you pass them as individuals on the street, I see the way people selectively choose an alternate path to avoid them. Those two examples best define why time travelers do not show themselves. In trying to help you, we put ourselves at great risk, and there's really no point to it. We know the nature of time dictates that traveling between exact world lines is impossible. Therefore, the only results we will see will be the ones we stay to see. Since world lines, outcomes, and events are infinite, we have better things to do. When I arrive in the new 1998 world line on my way home, I could easily start all of this again and continue to go through the same conversations with all of the same people. However, I already know you won't pay any attention or believe me because we've already been through it on this world line. Besides, I think the walk to the gas station will do you some good. Wow, gaslighting king. 
How rude. My parting thought revolves around something JC has been harping on since day one. No, I do not have a secret agenda, but I have been paying a great deal of attention to your world line. My interaction with you was not a direct mission parameter, but it was a secondary mission protocol based on standing orders given to all temporal drivers. That secondary objective is basically to gather as much information about a world line based on a set of observable variables when we first arrive. Your world line met those conditions. What amazes me is why no one here wonders why Y2K didn't hit them at all. Bring a gas can with you when the car dies on the side of the road. Farewell. Uh, he's in love with his own metaphor. And that was the end of John Teeter. But Coast to Coast continued to follow the story for years afterward, and others started trying to pull at the ed threads, started trying to pull at the threads at the edges of the John Teeter story. And we'll get into that after the break. Ooh. The truth about the Haditha massacre has been covered up, but not anymore. I know you know what happened. They went into houses and killed women and children. What are you thinking? What a mess. U.S. Marines murdered innocent civilians in cold blood. And at the center of it all is 25-year-old Sergeant Frank Wooderick. And me. Murder in House 2. A new podcast from Crowd Network. Hey there, I'm Tara. And I'm Jessica. And together we co-host the podcast Three Spooked Girls. If you love the paranormal or murder, join us on Mondays for full-length episodes where we discuss our favorite paranormal stories and true crime cases. And join us again on Thursdays for our mini-sodes called Stabby Snippets, where we tell you all about true crimes happening in the news. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Podbean, Spotify, wherever the hell else you listen to your pods at. You can also find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, by using the handle at Three Spooked Girls. Come and hang out with us and get your spooky on while we scare the hell out of you. And we're back. When last we left you, John Teeter had just taken his leave with one last bitchy reply at the Art Bell forums. Very bitchy. One last passive-aggressive missive to his um, band of internet followers, <laughs> and the time traveler faded into the internet mists. Now, while this was happening on the Art Bell forums, did he ever talk about it on the show? Because he kind of had started the mythology by reading the facts and everything. Uh, yes. Oh, yeah. No, Art was following this. This was also right around the time that Art was retiring and unretiring. Mm. Um, so it probably wasn't great timing for him to really promote this further, like he probably could have and would have wanted to. Uh, but Art, yeah, talked about John Teeter more than probably anyone else. And uh, his successor, George Norrie, has carried that torch, or at least did for years. Um, in June 2009, eight years after uh, Teeter had left... He did an interview with Oliver Williams, the, uh, once again, I'm getting to the act teeter activist, John Williams. What is he being an activist about? John Oliver, not John Williams. <laughs> um, he runs johnteeter.com. He's the webmaster there. 
which collects all of John's posts and uh, compiles them into sort of a narrative that the audience can read through and uh, decide for themselves. He obviously has an opinion, though. Mm-hmm. He believes in it. Yes. <laughs> um, through his website, he also helps the John Teeter Foundation sell merchandise through a cafe press store. Or at least he used to. I don't think it's still open anymore. Um, he supposedly didn't profit from that cafe press store. So I don't know why he does it, except for, I guess, love of the game. <laughs> sure. Gotta spread the good word. Um, and here Oliver uh, sits down with George and... Um, Remember, this is in 2009, June 2009, so it's about six months into the Obama presidency. Okay. And remember, we're very much in right-wing media. Mm. And uh, so Oliver is going to talk about how... Oliver and George is is all in, by the way. Uh, They're talking about how those things that John said might not have been so crazy after all. After that, some of the things that he started, some of the things that he said a lot of people think are starting to come to pass. And it's sort of matured now, um, 10 years later, into a mythology whereby I believe people are sort of less concerned about whether or not it was real and more concerned about what it meant. I love that. People are less, that was the question. It means jack shit if it's not real. The question, by the way, was like, did this really happen? And he's like, I think people are less concerned about if it was real. And more concerned about, like, what what it all meant, you know? <laughs> um, he's obviously moving the goalposts there. He's dodging the question, moving the goal. But don't worry, George Norrie is a famously tough questioner. <laughs> I'm sure he's not going to let him uh, move, move the uh, goalposts like that. And, you know, what if it's possible, Oliver, that uh, these people, if they were, if John Teeter was, was a number of people, that... A number of people. They knew the inside of, let's say, the shadow government. Maybe they knew about mad cow disease. They knew about the possibility of civil war. They, they knew about the impending economic problems we were going to have. And so they kind of wanted to temper it all by telling us this through the figure of a John Teeter. Is that possible? Oh, okay. So he's fine with you moving the goalposts. And in fact, he's just going to grab the chains and do it for you. <laughs> yeah, and you know, George, it's, it's interesting that you should say that because I think that's sort of the conclusion that a lot of people are coming to is that there was a message that had to get out and it needed to be remembered and whoever did this is, was trying to find a way to do that and if it wasn't a time traveler they definitely succeeded in doing that every time someone says a lot of people are saying or a it lot of people are thinking them. <laughs> it's donald trump does it all the time and matt Stryker does it all the time on uh, lucha underground <laughs> a lot of people are saying sec this is what sexy star has been after it's like, oh, Matt, I think it's just your opinion, man. <laughs> um, it won't surprise you, Caroline, to know that many have bandied about the idea over the years. <laughs> oh, is this just you too? <laughs> many have bandied about the idea that John Teeter may be a hoax. Oh, yeah? That, in fact, whoever wrote the person or persons who wrote these posts may not have been an actual time traveler. And I'm glad that George does give serious time to that possibility here. And you know, Oliver, some people think you're John Teeter, as you know. You know, we, again, I get that a lot. A lot of people think that. Um, you know, I guess I'm flattered by that. I, I don't know how else to respond to that. I if you're Teeter, you're I love brilliant. being a petty bitch, just like him. Well, I, I said, well, if I was him, I'd really appreciate that. 
don't you love uh there's there's no one you'd want to hang out with more than a john teeter activist activist <laughs> i just oh, can't boy. get it i've seen him described that way <laughs> such a <laughs> so funny uh. um and finally like we said before um, this was right after the Obama election or about six months into the Obama presidency and uh, right wing radio was just losing their minds. And um, this the, that is the, the waters that we're playing in here with coast to coast, certainly. So uh, no different there. And uh, Oliver explains that w- w- circling back to this idea that Teeter's predictions are coming true. In a way, metaphorically speaking. In a way. At the wrong time. Oliver points out that Teeter had said there was a struggle in the Middle East contributing to that world war three and that um that came because the u.s had softened its support for israel and that allowed israel's allies to finally israel's enemies to finally pounce it gave them the boldness and confidence that they needed and so um you can imagine carrie that oliver williams is just sick when he looks at barack obama's foreign policy so a lot of people are very concerned that you know things over there are very much on a hair trigger and anything could happen any day now I, I would have uh, rated John Teeter's predictions, let's call him that for just a moment, as high up as anybody we've ever had on this program. His accuracy rate uh, outside of the Olympics, and we'll talk about that one in a second, but uh, he and seems to be War. pretty uncanny in terms of looking at world events unfolding and matching them to some of the things that he has said, Though even though they may not have happened yet. They're very close to feeling like what he was talking about. I would agree with you. I love, you couldn't put more like qualifiers in a sentence. They're like, very even close they, to feeling. Like they might, in reality, almost <laughs> be in the air for the future. So it's like, a, it's a metaphorical, ideological civil war. Yes, that's all Teeter was talking about. And there's going to be an uh, ideological nuclear bomb dropped. I just love how when push comes to shove, nothing matters. Like, it's like, okay, well, the predictions are... He said, uh, Oliver Williams said on Israel, anything can happen any day now. This was... So, yeah, I mean, yes. But this was 12 years ago. (laughs) No, but I mean... (laughs) Anything can happen any day, anywhere. Oh, yeah. No, of course. <laughs> that's, the, that's the vaguest statement you could make ever. There you have it, Carrie. John Teeter. Um, <laughs> no. Um, Were there other predictions that I, that we didn't talk about? Oh, I'm not, I'm not finished No, yet, I know. But no, but not, not really. Those are, those are all the big... I mean, he talked a lot about what life was like. It's all about... Here's what it is, really, is a modern rural conservatives like... Dream, dream world of. because it's that, this that world rises where, from the ashes of apocalypse it's this world where bad socialists come to get them both in the form of russia and socialism so you have to return government. to the farm and the family and the good old bible yep you got your bible you grow your own food you everyone works on a farm everyone in jacksonville is too liberal wipe them off the map yep none of this uh n- none of the none of these frivolous entertainment products we like to read and that's it. Yeah. Um, I don't think they like to read. <laughs> well, John Dieter said that's what they do. They just read and sit around together. But so that he talked a lot about painting this kind of idealized portrait of what American life became after all these struggles that were supposedly in the next 
a few decades. Yeah, for saying three billion people got killed, uh, he sounded real wistful about his life. He was pretty wistful <laughs> about it, actually. Yeah. Um, now, after all that, George actually introduced, it interrupts, and this is surprising, Carrie. You can't interrupt Oliver Williams because this is this guy's obviously got it going on. He's got something. He's got going all on. the facts. Um, He's got a facts. <laughs> George um, interrupts Oliver to introduce a bombshell interview that he had done three years before in 2006. Uh, because it's relevant. Um, so listen to this. You won't believe who George had talked to. Again, the. Coast to Coast was covering this throughout the years. This is who George Norrie spoke to three years before this 2009 show. Now, I'm going to play a little clip for us, Oliver, of the attorney for the John Teeter family, Larry Haber, based in Florida, because there's a major story about this that has to do with some interesting fan news that Oliver will talk about when we come back. Now, when I interviewed Larry Haber, again, the attorney for the John Teeter family, there is a real family who has a little boy, and his name's John Teeter, and apparently this could be the John Teeter from the future. But they've got an attorney who has represented him in some of these matters. We get it. He's an attorney. So it's at this point that George Norrie introduces us to Florida attorney Larry Haber. Lawrence Haber. Mm -hmm. uh, now Haber quickly explains that he didn't even want this case. It got basically shoved into his lap by an old law school buddy. Case of what? And I said, well, doesn't make a whole lot. The case representing the uh, John Teeter family, the time uh, traveler. For what? Representing them for what? Oh, all their entertainment um, rights. Like the cafe press and stuff? And I said, well, doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me, and I don't believe it. He said, no, give it a try. I, I want to. <laughs> I really need some help with this thing. So I went ahead and took, uh, took the... Uh, couple of calls and have been involved with it for the last three years now see he's a skeptic i mean you know you can trust this guy it, it, are you baffled perplexed it is indeed a strange story is it not baffled, good question perplexed, and everything in between sure um I, I have no idea if any of this is real or not or true or not i i know that they believe it's real um the few uh, few times i've had direct contact with the family and the many times i've had it through my friends have, have, have led me to believe that these guys really think that they've, they're, everything they keep uh, talking about is absolutely real. But I'm too far removed from it to really get a good handle on it. Larry, have you met anybody face-to-face? -face? No, okay. I have not, except for my friend who, well, I haven't seen him in years. So I know the person that has made the contact with me, but not anybody from the family. Just a couple of phone conversations with uh, uh, John's mom, Kay, and that's all I've had. Okay, but you still represent them, I, I assume. I represent them, that's okay, correct. Okay, now I understand you have Kay on another line. She does not want to come on the program directly with her voice, but she will answer questions through you, so. Carrie, this is a bombshell. We've got the mother of John Teeter. Oliver Williams is quaking in his little boots. The mother of John Teeter almost speaking on the program. But I just, I don't understand. What is he representing them for? Who who are they suing? What lawsuit no, they have a is book, this? They have a book that they're hoping to turn into a movie. We'll hear more about that later. So he's representing them for movie rights. A book, book rights, publishing. He said it was just publishing. So the book wasn't even published yet. No, it, he's, he's basically on here to plug it. He'll mention it at the end. But he has nothing to do with it. But he is going to plug it at the end. 
Let me first of all I ask you if Kay saw a John Teeter from the future, the future John Teeter. Okay, let me ask. Has Kay seen uh, John Teeter from the future? Are you kidding? Um, she's telling me that when he left in March of 2001, she hasn't seen uh, the older version of him since then. Since then. Correct. Is there a smaller version of John Teeter? And if so, how old is he right now? There. How old do you think? This is 2009? No, 2006. Oh, um, hmm. Six? There is, and he's about to turn eight years old. About to turn eight years old. Has the eight-year-old John Teeter met the adult John Teeter from the future? I'm glad I'm asking her that I couldn't answer any of these things. Hold on. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Larry, so good. Uh, By the way, the answer to that last question is that future John lived with the family for three years. Well, he was there. That's a lot. It is a lot of time to spend with your former self, but again, in an alternate timeline, so there's no paradox. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> I mean, none of it makes sense, so what sure. do you What do you think of Lawrence Haber so far? Is he on the level? He's uh, convincing. You know, the <laughs> oh, I'm, I'm glad she's here. I couldn't even answer these questions. Oh, he really... I know. I know nothing. What's my name? I think he's laying it on a little thick here. Let's listen to this next one as Georgia asks how... Well, he's convincing in that I don't believe him, but, you know, he's <laughs> acting the part. He's trying. Yes. Uh, here Georgia asks how Kay came to know her time traveler son. Um, in April of 98, um, he visited them in Florida and stayed for a couple of months and came back in June and spent oh. the next three years with oh. them. Oh. Is he his own father? Um, in April of 98, um, he visited them in Florida and stayed for a couple of months and came back in June and spent the next three years with them, but knew how to find him because obviously he knew where he, he was living back then. 1998 to 2006. He's oh, eight my years God. Old. <laughs> what if John teeters his own father? He teetered his own ma. I mean, what are the rules? He said there's no paradox. No rules just right. Outback rules. Outback Steakhouse rules. Sure, but it's... It's still in genetically. Oh, I yes. Mean, it's still yes, incest. Yes. But it seems um, ironic that it, it figures out perfectly that way for when he first appears on the scene. I wonder if that was the intention, like when they were writing this whole story, I wonder if that was the intention. To imply that that he was his own father. A Terminator situation. It's quite a story. Why did she believe this individual who would probably show up at their doorstep and say, Hi, Mom, I'm John Teeter. I'm John, right. Yeah. Good one, because, again, that's the the biggest one for me to try to figure out. Hold on. Good good question. (laughs) Hold on. Oh, Larry. She says, to first meeting, she knew it was him, but it took her about a day to really accept it or figure it out that it was real. Or that it had that it really could be real. I don't think she still was convinced that quickly, but you know, it, she's telling me of how, how I'm trying to repeat the words. How can a mother not know her son, basically, <laughs> even if he's much older? Right, right. Kissing you is like kissing my brother. By the way, the, the chemistry between these two, between Nori and uh, 
And Williams oh, is they just are doing a, a tango of tantalizing proportions. Scintillating. And of course, they finally get to that book plug. Although, remember, Larry has nothing to do with this book whatsoever. There is a book that is being sold now. It's called John Teeter, A Time Traveler's Tale. It's a paperback. It's by John Teeter. Uh, I assume is written by the mother. Um, do you, Larry, as the attorney, have do you have anything to do with that? Do you represent them on that at but all? It's by John Teeter. <laughs> Why would it be the, uh, by the mother? <laughs> because this is all nonsense. What do you mean? <laughs> it's a weird assumption to make if it says by John Teeter. You, Larry, as the attorney, have do you have anything to do with that? Do you represent them on that at all? Just in terms of getting the uh, publishing, I mean, I can tell you that that uh, all I was responsible for was to make sure that the the copyrights were filed correct. The things really incidental to it, but had no other involvement with the book itself. Self published, or is there a big publisher? Yeah, self published. No, self published. Okay. Is there anything else you know, on the horizon? He then gets into a, a movie deal that he's helping them work out. Um, I don't have to tell you, Caroline, that that movie deal never went anywhere. Gosh, I wish it did. So uh, isn't that interesting? This Larry Haber is just working from afar uh, to help this family out. I don't know shit about shit, George. Yeah, very clueless, Larry Haber. Um, now, what's really interesting is when you start to dig deeper into the John Teeter story, as the Italian docuseries... Uh, Oh, get ready for this. Voyager ai confini della conoscenza. Oh, yeah, the garlic's just dripping off of you right now. Uh, in this docuseries, the, a, a private investigator with the very Italian name of Mike Lynch. <laughs> gabagool, gabagool. Found no registration evidence of any John Teeter in Florida history. Anywhere. There's never been one as far as he could tell. He did find the John Teeter Foundation, which is a for-profit corporation that was founded September 16th, 2003, by one Lawrence Haber, ah. who acts as the organization's lawyer and is also the only registered member. Uh, <laughs> they have no office or address except for a rented P.O. box in Kissimmee, Florida, which is where... Larry Haber works. One of the IP addresses connected to uh, John Teeter's posts is also connected to Kissimmee, Florida. Ah. And finally, Mike Lynch found out that Larry Haber's brother, John Rick Haber, and this is a little bit more incidental, but he is a computer programmer who is the right age to have worked in the industry around the time where he would likely have that IBM info. He was working in computers in the 70s. So that's, that's a that's a lot of circumstantial, <laughs> granted, very circumstantial evidence. When did Larry Haver say he was hired by the family? Like, first hired by them? Did he say? Uh, three years before then, so 2003. Oh. Now, it could be that Kay Teeter got in touch with uh, Larry Haber and asked him to set up this corporation so that they could, the corporation sold the book, by the way. So they could profit off of this self-published book and maybe movie rights. Right. So, I mean, maybe... If he's just a, like a regular lawyer, like, they can't negotiate movie rights. That's not how that works. He's an entertainment lawyer. Oh. He's the former head of Florida's, like, motion picture board or okay. something like that. Okay. I thought he was just, like, a regular attorney. Huh. Hmm. It's very interesting. Whatever the... 
And his brother's name is John. John Rick Haber, yeah. Mm. Not John Teeter, for what that's worth. <laughs> well. Um, it does seem likely this was some kind of a conspiracy engineered <laughs> to grab attention. Um, K. Thor Jensen did a great article for Thrillist, uh, where he spoke to a multimedia artist named Joseph Matheny. Now, Matheny is famous for a alternate reality game called Ong's Hat that started in the 80s. Um, he and his friends basically were printing up brochures about this fake city that had never existed and then later on a few years later they manufactured some fake news clippings and like distributed them around about how the city was like killed in a a government raid and they stole all their ancient technology from them and uh, so it became this thing eventually grew into the internet age and it was something that you could it was you know kind of goes viral like the Blair Witch Project people thinking that's real yes but there was no movie it was just that was Mm -hmm. the whole story was the multimedia kind of thing um now, Matheny says that John Teeter, quote, is a story that was created as a literary experiment by people who were observing what I was doing with Ong's hat, and these people wanted to do something like that. I was a consultant on the project, but it wasn't my project. He doesn't say who he worked with on this, but he says he worked on the John Teeter project as a consultant. As like an ARG. Yeah, and he says um, he was in contact with the group that was posting as John, and that other people, strangers who weren't in the group, started posting as John. They didn't know who it was, and eventually the group behind Teeter stopped posting and monitoring at all sometime in 2000. Mm-hmm. So at that point, it was just copycat Teeters for the rest of the uh, the run. Hmm. If this guy's telling the truth. who This right. guy could be lying. Why should we just assume that Larry Haber's lying? Could be he's telling the truth and uh, Matheny's the liar. Hmm. On the Hoax Hunter blog, this one very, very dogged um, investigator, internet investigator named John Houston, uh, actually took all of the posts that had been made on Time Travel Institute about John Teeter or by John Teeter, every post from those two threads, and cross-referenced every other post that everyone who posted in those threads had ever made in order to narrow down a list of suspects, um, you know, trying to figure out who was also trying promoting John Teeter mm-hmm. in other places and who was who was trying to grow this thing. Um, their favorite was Larry Haber. <laughs> uh, another top suspect was Oliver Williams. Ah. <laughs> and as I mentioned, Oliver does sell or used to sell uh, John Teeter merchandise to benefit the John Teeter Foundation through his ah. Cafe Press website. So the two do so work So he together. didn't, he, quote unquote, didn't benefit from the Cafe Press or whatever, but the John Teeter Foundation did. They were a for-profit company, yes. Okay. And um, that's about where we stand. I think those truly are the, the only um, uh, interesting suspects for the Teeter uh, uh, thing. Although, if... Matheny was correct, and they started. Uh, it, it sounds like it spun out of their control at a certain point. We don't know who was doing these posts. It was like John Teeter was a rat king of <laughs> internet virgins. <laughs> Shiver just went down my spine. Um, now, it may interest you to know, Carrie, as one final note that John Teeter's time machine was actually patented in 2004. And who filed that patent? Not Larry Haber. 
Oliver Williams. No, this was Martin Pullman, a programmer and, quote, inventor. I mean, I mean, technically anyone could have patented, patented the uh, blueprint or whatever for it because it hadn't been patented. Exactly right. And in a post on the internet, this guy said, I have a degree in physics and engineering and back engineered this based on John Teeter's post. I work for a large software company, have no profit motive. I just want one and don't have the means to build it. Uh, I will add about Marlon Pullman, that he doesn't have a time machine, but he may wish he did. He is currently serving six years in prison after pleading guilty to drugging and raping four women. After injecting LSD, ecstasy, and nitrous oxide into their necks with spring-loaded syringes, and then having his way with them. Oh my god. During his trial, inexplicably spouting off about the time machine, he said, I invented it because I had to do something while I was going through chemo. I had nothing better to do. I think I made a mathematical error. Yeah, I don't think it was with the time machine, Martin. Marlin. Oh, boy. That's... That's a lot. Not a good guy. Six years, that's it? Yeah, it says... Well, six years and three months, actually. That's not enough for raping four people. No, he looks like Bob Vance from Vance Refrigeration. He's clearly very ill. Yeah. Yeah. Do you mean because of the time machine or because of the assaults? <laughs> Both. Yeah. <laughs> Me too. Not not good. Um, Caroline, do you think John Teeter was real? No. <laughs> um, oof. See, the thing is, with any with any time traveling, if you're going by the different timelines theory, which this kind of is and kind of isn't when it's convenient, <laughs> um, you can just say that the fact that he told anyone has changed things. And that's why we didn't have a civil war. And blah, blah, blah. Like, you can explain it all away. And there's no way of proving it. Yeah, that's what he tried to do and what his uh, advocates have tried to do for him ever since. I think it was Larry Haber, or he was the main guy, or he had, like, a group of people, including probably his brother and the ARG designer guy. Um, and, yeah, there were probably people that ripped it off and were teeter copycats, and they were probably smart people, too, that were able to answer questions um very wordily like John Teeter could and <laughs> yeah. sound smart and things like that. Do you think they had inside knowledge of the shadow government like um, George was, was suggesting? Mm, no. No. <laughs> I think this was just, um, I don't know. He's an entertainment lawyer, Larry Haber. So maybe he did think that there was some profit to be made in this, though it's a weird roundabout way to go about it. But, you know. I, I think this is a very interesting story. I'm not saying that it's not. I wouldn't it's have told it. It's definitely interesting. It's it's an interesting collection of personalities. I wouldn't have told you the story if I didn't think it was interesting. But my biggest takeaway from all of it, I found, I constantly find myself going, well, and so what? Like, the, you start off with he's a time traveler. Okay, great. Well, That's you, exciting. Once you get past 2005, even, uh, it's it's becomes irrelevant yeah but people still want to make this a thing and there's still debate over whether john teeter was real and it's like well 
If, only... if you're telling me that he really did travel through time, but he doesn't know anything that's going to happen between now and 2036, then so what? Who cares? Exactly. People are going to be fascinated by predictions forever. They always have been, whether it's the oracles at Delphi or whatever, um, Nostradamus. They're always going to be fascinated by people predicting the future. But then if you can go, oh, well, our future is not exactly like his future... Okay, then again, who cares? Why are we listening to anything he has to say? And then when they go, well, oh, well, he might not even be a time traveler. Maybe he's just a guy who has opinions. Well, then who cares? <laughs> who super cares? Yeah, once you get past the point where stuff doesn't happen, then it stops being relevant. No one's afraid of 2012 anymore because 2012 happened. Right. And there was an, an apocalypse. Um, it, that's that's like it for any future prediction, any apocalypse scenario. Once it doesn't happen, it stops being relevant. So, the, I mean, the idea that people are trying to keep it relevant, again, you can explain it away saying, well, he's on a different timeline, blah, blah, blah. The only thing that, if this is true and you say, so what? The only thing that is, so what? Is that, oh, time travel exists. That's the so what. But everything else is irrelevant. But time travel where you can't use it to actually find out reliable information, nor can you use it and come back. Well, if you're working on the many timelines hypothesis, then yeah. Well, but, but again, we don't know how it would work if it did work. Right. But again, it's who, who, who can. And then <laughs> when you figure out that it's all, you unlock the, the black conspiracy. I don't mean racially. I hope you understand what I mean. <laughs> then you unlock the dark conspiracy at the heart of this whole thing. And again, it's who cares? This guy was, how much could he have been making off of the ca the cafe press store? <laughs> like $20 I a month? I think they had bigger hopes for it. I think they tried, wanted to do a movie deal and some and stuff like that. Again, didn't Blair Witch come out in like 99? Yep. Yep. It is so right around the same time. They might have seen that that kind of ARG sort of thing was going viral. You know. This was right after Ong's hat had gone too far for a couple of people like that. Matheny guy had people outside of his house every morning wanting to know more about the ancient city and stuff. Yeah, so you see other people being successful with the same idea. You try to copy it, but in a different way. And you don't necessarily find success, but it's it's still a fun story. I love a good yarn, Sean. Um, it is a very fun story. And if any time travelers are hearing this... <laughs> Um, just pop in before the end of the recording and we'll interview you right now. For sure. Right now. Any day now. I'm Ken Harbaugh, host of Warriors in Their Own Words, a podcast that presents the unvarnished, unsanitized truth of what we have asked of those who defend this nation. As a country, we need these stories more than ever. Stories from Americans who have borne the battle, including 30-year-old remastered interviews with veterans from World War I recounting their time in the trenches of Europe, and with veterans from World War II, Korea, Vietnam, and from our most recent conflicts in Iraq, Afghanistan, and other battlefields Americans may never have heard of. Hear their stories by listening to Warriors in Their Own Words wherever you find podcasts. Do you have what it takes to go into the mind of a serial killer? Or solve 
a horrific case. <laughs> Hi, everybody. When you join Hunt a Killer, you receive a box full of cryptic clues mailed to you each month to test your detective skills and challenge even the most brilliant minds in a game designed to give you a journey into the mind of a killer so you can escape with the answers you need. And I hope you do escape. Input our code SCARYSQUAD20 for 20% off when you sign up for your first subscription box at huntakiller.com and find out if you have the guts to hunt a killer. The guts! That's the code SCARYSQUAD20, S-C-A-R-Y-S-Q-U-A-D-2-0 for 2-0% off at huntakiller.com, www.huntakiller.com. Hunt a killer! Join the hunt today. It's true crime time. We've been following a strange case out of South Carolina the last few weeks, that of the Murdaugh family killings. This week, new evidence has come to light that could change everything. Okay, so I don't know about this. Tell me about this. Well, if you haven't heard, here's a rundown of the general setup. In recent years, the Murdoch family has been plagued by tragedies maybe more befitting of the cursed Kennedys. In 2019, there was a fatal boat crash near Paris Island, South Carolina, that killed 19-year-old Mallory Beach. Driving the boat was 19-year-old Paul T. Murdaugh, the son of prominent local attorney Alex Murdaugh. Paul was indicted for boating under the influence, causing great bodily harm, and causing the death of Mallory Beach. He pled not guilty. On June 7th of this year, 53-year-old Alex Murdaugh called 911 to report that he'd found his wife, Margaret, and the aforementioned Paul shot dead outside of their home in Islandton, about an hour north of Hilton Head Island. Both of the victims had multiple execution-style gunshot wounds. The case remains unsolved. Three days later, Murdaugh family patriarch and father to Alex Murdaugh, Randolph Murdaugh III. Oh, is this like a very rich family? <laughs> yes. Uh, he died of natural causes at his home. Or did he? As far as I can tell. On June 22nd, police reopened an investigation into the unsolved death of 19-year-old Stephen Smith, whose body was found by the road in 2015 in Hampton County. This was apparently triggered by information that they had just received relating to the case of Margaret and Paul Murdaugh's murders. Murdaugh's murders. Oh, so there is going to be like a conspiracy or something here. Soon after this, Alex and his other son, Buster, yes, really, the bunny, <laughs> announced a $100,000 reward for information leading to the conviction of whoever was responsible for the killings. On September 3rd, Alex Murdaugh resigned from the firm Alex Murdaugh resigned from the law firm Peters, Murdaugh, Parker, Ellsroth, and Dietrich, aka Pimped. <laughs> yes, really. <laughs> you didn't think that through. P-M-P-E-D. Uh, and the next day, Alex called 911 reporting he had been shot in the head early that afternoon on a road in Hampton County. He called to report he had been shot in the head? Yes, though he was shot in the head, the wound was superficial and he survived. Two days later, he released an official statement. Quote, 
The murders of my wife and son have caused an incredibly difficult time in my life. I have made a lot of decisions that I truly regret. I'm resigning from my law firm and entering rehab after a long battle that has been exacerbated by these murders. I am immensely sorry to anyone I've hurt, including my family, friends, and colleagues. I ask for prayers as I rehabilitate myself and my relationships. Okay, so unpack this for me. Well, after that, things got even weirder, involving hitmen, opioids, theft, and a dead maid. But for the rest of the story, our listeners will have to tune in next week. Wow. Is it next week's news segment, or are you doing the full episode on this? Trying to decide. It'll definitely be at least the news segment, but there's so much happening, like, just this week in this case. It's getting wild. So there's a lot to talk about. Okay. There you go. Appointment uh, listening for next week. Come back. We're hot off the presses here. Ink's still dry. Mm-hmm. Ink's still wet. Blood's still dry. Oh. That's it for this episode of Ain't It Scary with Sean and Carrie. Like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Ain't It Scary and check out our website at ain'titscary.com. You can support the show by supporting our sponsors and becoming a patron at www.patreon.com slash ain'titscary. And please subscribe to the show and throw us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. We'll be forever grateful. We sure will. And we are redoubling our efforts, uh, like just like that British guy who doesn't want to get choked to death by Darth Vader. We will redouble our efforts. Uh, we are redoubling our efforts to get Patreon content out there uh, so you guys can look forward to lots more of it. We have a bunch of good stuff in the hopper and uh, uh, coming down. For the rest of you, hopefully that's a pot sweetener, but uh, the Patreon is really a, a place to... Uh, support the show if you if you're loving what we're doing and uh, also to get a little come a little bit closer as jay and the americans <laughs> once said uh get into get into this growing community that we're um forming with really cool people and that's really what it's all about um anyway special thanks to our favorite patrons our beloved <laughs> patrons nate curtis sean o'donnell jared chamberlain maria ferrante robin mccabe comfy mike alex nakutis ryan regan and christy atchison um we'll see all of you guys next thursday not just the uh, patreon folks but all of you uh patreon folks will see you on the discord and if you like the music on the show you should check out kyle ryan at music is a verb on youtube because um he's great this has been a production of long boy media i'm richard Serrett. join me on strange planet for in-depth conversations with the world's top paranormal investigators alien abductees bigfoot trackers monster hunters time travelers alternative archaeologists remote viewers and more as i was on the way to area 51 i was stopping on the side of the road and just taking measurements and i found this one spot where time slowed down by a fraction of a second it's not supposed to do that from the two big categories, animal mutilations and human abductions. You have to conclude that genetic material is being harvested. Well, I reached for a rifle and uh, I, I turned and looked and it was, it was already moving away and it was descending the bluff. Uh, there's no way any human could have went down it. It was probably a 75 degree angle straight down almost. On Richard Serrett's Strange Planet, we're redefining reality. Listen now wherever you get your podcasts. Do not go any further. Turn around. Go home.